Um, I hope you're well today. Um, it's good to see everybody, and um, I hope you had a great week. Um, another birthday uh, that I just found out about um, is actually on the 21st. Uh, I think he still might be outside, but it's Michael Holovas. Can you give it up for Mike at the front back, please? It's actually his birthday, too, so give it up for him. So with, um, with that in mind, happy, happy birthday to all the February birthdays. Happy birthday to all the March birthdays. Happy birthday if you have a birthday this year. Okay, so <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. So um, guys, we are finishing, as uh, Pastor Cole said, our Explore God series today. And we hope that you've enjoyed it. We hope that you've benefited from it. We hope that it's provoked good conversations that help you um, go deeper in your faith, or if you haven't yet made a decision to serve Jesus, have helped you along the way in making a decision to trust him as Savior and Lord. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to close out the um, series by actually talking about the topic, which should be the summation of it all. Can I know God personally? Can I know God personally? And this is actually something that should help um, for anybody who's been considering Jesus up to this point. Um, For those of you who've known Jesus already, the question is, is if I know him personally, what should overflow out of me because I do? Okay, and so we're going to uh, put that in the context of some of the things that we've been studying this uh, past few weeks. I'm going to continue to make a couple of references, uh, source references for you, so that if you want to go deeper, even beyond the series, even if you want to go deeper beyond um, some of the discussion group topics that you're having, you can do so. You know, many of you have heard, especially in the workplace, that leaders are readers. How many people have heard that before? Um, That's just true, right? And so if you're going to actually be somebody who can stand in your faith according to all the truths of God's word and the witness of Jesus Christ, you want to be continually learning. You want to be continually reading, not just inspired, but actually inspired to go deeper in the things of God, the truths of God. So I'll give you some of these uh, throughout the message today. So let's begin. Um, The first thing that I want to say is is that um, some of the topics that I've uh, sort of been wrestling with and um, going through this uh, particular month about can we know God personally, I've been doing it in the context of Black History Month. I've been doing it in the context of Black History Month and some of the things that have come out of Black History Month as we've understood the effects of the people of God who've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the effects that they've had on society because of the overflow of God's work in their hearts, in their minds, in their lives as they've lived out the gospel in the world in which we live. And so can we know God personally? I, I think that you'll hear me reference some of these um, things today, but the truth of the matter is, is that we've all felt distant from God at different times, right? It doesn't matter if you've grown up in the church or not. Some of you have grown up in the church. Some of you, like myself, did not grow up in the church. But how many of you would agree that we've also felt distant from God at some point? Or we felt like God himself was uninvolved in the world that we know around us? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that we all have. And to counteract that feeling of uh, God feeling distant or feeling that he was uninvolved in the world, we try to do certain things to help us bridge that gap of feeling between us and God. Now, how many of you actually in response to that feeling have tried to do really good things 
to make up with God, meaning you try to do good works, you know, to earn your way to God before. It's almost like your meritocracy, right? It's almost like I get rewarded in society or my job around me because of the work that I do. And so if God's going to approve of me, if I'm going to feel close to God, I need to work my way towards him. Many people feel that way. Or how many people have, on the opposite side of the coin, tried to stop doing bad things to make themselves feel closer to God, right? You felt like convicted, you know, and so basically you were like... If I could just stop doing these things, that will actually give me an ability to have a personal relationship with God. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that um, both of those things um, are the knowledge of God and also what we do with our lives are important, but it's not the foundation of our relationship with him. It cannot, and will, nor will it be ever be, the rela- basis of our foundation with him. What we have instead is a message of grace, that God is the God of all grace, God's foundation that he gives his gospel through is all about grace. And to actually have a personal relationship with God, you've got to have a deep-seated embrace and understanding of the grace of God to be able to do this. Um, Many people who've grown up in the church have actually um, battled with this because of the fact that they've dealt with a struggle between the reverence of God and an actual relationship with God. Do you understand what I mean by that? The reverence of God is basically you you grew up in a culture that honored him, that revered him, that respected him, that even believed in him, but didn't necessarily relate to him on a personal level. Many people who've grown up in um, maybe high church, they call it, or maybe more liturgical churches, they had the experience of going through the motions, but didn't know how to really relate with him. But what God's calling us into by his grace is basically saying, not only do you need to know about me, but you need to relate with me. You need to be transformed by me. You need to actually have me living inside of you so that I can actually see the gospel working in you. And there's a big difference when we go through this of uh, moving from a place of just the reverence of God to relationship with God. It's all based on, yes, his grace, but it's all based on us responding in trust to the grace that he has, right? If you're going to be in relationship with somebody, you've got to trust them. Isn't that true in anything? It's sort of like if you're going to be in relationship with somebody who you're going to get married to, you better believe you need to trust them. If you're going to be in relationship, even in the workplace, how many people know that if you're going to work in a certain place, you need to be able to trust the people that you work with and work for. Is that not true? Otherwise, you need to get another job because you won't perform well in that place. And so in the basis of Christianity, in the basis of can we know God personally, there is a basis of trust that we need to establish. Now, the problem with that, um, though, is, is that when we've been talking about all of these different topics, especially last week when we were talking about is the Bible reliable or not, we all have different stumbling blocks. We all have different stumbling blocks in between us and the trust that we need to have for God to work with him and walk with him and relate with him properly as he intends us to. One of those, which I hope to actually do a whole series on at another point, um, but I'm going to recommend it as a book to you um, going forward, is I I know for me, like back in the day, there was a trouble or um, sort of a wrestling that I had with the uh, idea of the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, right? I almost felt like they were different people. Anybody? 
anybody ever felt that way before when you heard about things or read about different things? How am I going to trust Jesus who's describing himself as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament things? But I see Jesus as so meek and so mild and so kind and meh. You know, he's the Lamb of God. You know, the old God of the Old Testament, you know, is strong and, you know, vengeful and in my opinion, at times wrathful, right? And so I'm actually going through a book that I would actually recommend to you. It's actually called, Is God a Moral Monster? How many people have heard of that book before? Yeah, (laughs) it's God a Moral Monster. It's actually written by a man named Paul Copen, and it actually gives a great context. He's a theologian. He gives a great context for all of the Old Testament scriptures and the culture in which the Israelites found themselves and really how God, the God of all grace, showed himself and expressed himself in the midst of that culture. And the same God that we serve today through Jesus Christ is in fact the same God that was there expressing his kindness and his grace in the Old Testament through the scripture that we have. If you'd like to actually do a Bible study, I'd love to do a personal Bible study with you. That's one of the most encouraging scholarly works about the understanding the God of the Old Testament expressed through the person of Jesus in the New Testament um, as we have it today. But then in going, as I talked about in um, in other uh, avenues and going through other uh, like sort of machinations and wonderings prior to being a Christian, one of the things that I dealt with was some of the things done by religious people or the things done in religion's name throughout history that provided a stumbling block for me to actually come to a relationship with the Jesus of the Bible. Anybody ever dealt with that before? It's sort of like, well, I've heard things done in religion's name and I've heard things done by religious people. And so that actually sort of provided a veil for me. It provided a sort of a stumbling block for me to see Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible clearly. And one of the people that I thought expressed this well, as I've been reflecting on even um, on Black History Month and the sort of African-American experience here in the country was Frederick Douglass. My kids, even through school, are actually going through um, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass right now. Did anybody ever have to read that in school? Okay, but if you didn't yet, I recommend it to you. If you don't know, Frederick Douglass was actually a Christian. He was actually one of the greatest intellectuals and also abolitionists of the pre-Civil War period, but he was motivated to actually do all that he did by the God gospel of Jesus Christ working in him. But he would start it out in his autobiography talking about things this way. He said, I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, women whipping, cradle plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of the land. This is during the time of slavery. He said, I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds and the grossest of all libels. Never was there a clearer case of stealing the livery of the court of heaven to serve the devil in. I am filled with unutterable loathing when I contemplate the religious pomp and show together with the horrible inconsistencies which everywhere surround me. We have men stealers for ministers, women whippers for missionaries, and cradle plunderers for church members. The man who wields the blood-clotted cowskin during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. The slave auctioneer's bell and the church-going bell chime in with each other, and the bitter cries of the heartbroken slave are drowned in the religious shouts of the pious master. Revivals of religion and revivals in the slave trade go hand in hand together. 
The slave prison and the church stand near each other. The clanking fetters and the rattling of chains in the prison and the pious psalm and solemn prayer in the church may be heard at the same time. The dealers in the bodies of men erect their stand in the presence of the pulpit and they mutually help each other. The dealer gives his blood-stained gold to support the pulpit, and the pulpit, in return, covers his infernal business with the garb of Christianity. Here, we have religion and robbery, the allies of each other. Devils dressed in angels' robes, and hell presenting the semblance of paradise. How many people have ever read that before? Should. (laughs) He was basically saying that Basically, there was a culture surrounding Christianity, right, as people portrayed it, that actually was acting as a stumbling block because the gospel is for all the nations. The gospel is for all peoples. The gospel is a liberating factor for all people everywhere at all times, right? Through Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross and raised from the dead. But the way that was being presented in culture was actually providing a stumbling block from people actually relating to him personally, right? But here's the good news. He had a three-part autobiography, and in the second part of his autobiography, he actually talked about when he met Jesus. Despite what he saw in his experience around him, he actually met Jesus at one point, and when he talked about it in My Bondage and My Freedom, he said it this way. He was, I was for weeks, this is the same Frederick Douglass, for weeks a poor broken-hearted mourner traveling through the darkness and misery of doubts and fears. I finally found, though, that change of heart which comes by casting all one's care upon God and by having faith in Jesus Christ as the Redeemer, friend, and Savior of those who diligently seek him. Meaning he was able to distinguish between that which he was experiencing prior to his freedom as a slave and then even as an abolitionist worker, he was able to experience these things through the gospel of Jesus Christ coming alive in his heart. What was able to change him from a bitter man to one who actually provided freedom for other people? It was Jesus' work in his life. It was the gospel coming alive in his heart. Many of you know also Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe who wrote what? Anybody know? Come on now, old literature classes. Uncle, okay, Uncle Tom's Cabin, right? Uncle Tom's Cabin. But did you know that she was the daughter of Lyman Beecher, one of the greatest abolitionist preachers of the Second Great Awakening? And so the thing that actually motivated her to the overflow of actually being involved in shaping the culture around her, so much so that in even apocryphal literature, they say that Abraham Lincoln said, so you're the little woman who started this great war. Because of her writing about the atrocities of slavery, it came from her understanding of the gospel. And it came from her understanding of Jesus' work in her life, so much so that she was transformed internally and then began to work externally to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But to do so, they had to have a personal relationship, not just a reverence for, but a personal relationship with Jesus that enabled them to do this prior to any of their work. Now, as we look at the work, that, um, um, the work of God in their lives and the work of God in our lives, we see that the bad news is that no good works, no good works can help us measure up to God's standards. 
But the good news is that God's love is given to each of us freely. Titus 3.5, whenever Paul was talking to his young disciple, he actually made it very clear this way. He said, yes, I'm calling you to faith and good works, but you've got to understand in the bedrock of your under, uh, faith and the bedrock of all of your understanding that God Almighty, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. That's foundational to all of our relationship with God. It's never going to be because of the righteous things that you do that God saves you, but it's only because of his mercy. And isn't that good news to all of us? That we don't have to work our way to God. We can never be good enough, smart enough, no matter what Gary Smalley says, doggone it, he won't like you just because of what you do. It's because of what Jesus the Son has accomplished and him not treating us as our sins deserve that we're able to walk with God freely, confidently, and forgiven. We also see that in John chapter 1, verse 12, John the Apostle was encapsulating that which Jesus accomplished in his ministry and also said in his preaching. And he said this, yet to all who did not work for him, but all who did receive him. All who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He says, not born of a husband's will, not born of human flesh, but born of God, born of his spirit, meaning that we were all, here's the point, though some experience physical slavery, we've all been slaves of sin internally. We've all experienced a bondage to all types of drunkenness, sexual immorality, lust, hatred, dissension, factions, unforgiveness, all of these different things holding us in bondage in our hearts. But he says, to those who received him, I'm going to set them free. And the Bible says very clearly that if the sun sets you free, it doesn't matter where you're coming from or what you're dealing with. When you're born again, you will be free indeed, which means completely free, completely free from that which shackled you in your minds and in your hearts. And as you diligently seek him, as the scripture says, and even as uh, Frederick Douglass testified to diligently seeking him, he transforms you, literally makes you a different person by the renewing of your mind. That's the good news of the gospel. He says, you do this by knowing me personally. Jesus went on to talk about it out of himself when he said this in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, he said, I am the bread of life. He said, you all have hunger, you all have pangs. He says, I am the bread of life, the answer for those things. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, that's the good news of the gospel, right? It doesn't matter where you start. He says, all who come to me, if my Father's drawing you, I'm not going to cast you away. It doesn't matter where you've begun or what you've done. He says, I, the good news of the gospel is he says, if you're being drawn by my Father, I'm not going to cast you out. Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. My goodness and what my work on the cross is more powerful than any sin that you're involved in now or that which you've been trapped by in the past. He 
says, literally, I'm not going to drive you out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, um, given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone, and that means everyone, Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. So many of you have been literally praying for, laboring for, appealing to friends of yours, co-workers of yours, family members of yours saying, boy, they seem way off. They seem far off right now, but I'm believing, I'm praying, I'm interceding that God would do something in their lives. Well, here's the good news. Here's the good news that Jesus said, that anyone who comes to him, he won't cast them off. And matter of fact, not only will he not cast them off, but they won't be snatched from his hand. He'll raise them up at the last day and he'll actually satisfy, in the meantime, the soul desires and satisfaction that they're looking for. James 4.8, the um, apostle James said things this way. God made a very clear promise in talking about a personal relationship with him. He said, listen, you don't want to just know about me. You need to relate with me. And God said this. Come near to God, what? Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why? Because God wants to draw near to you. And that is talking about something very practical, right? That's talking about not a static relationship, but a dynamic relationship. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about, even you've heard people uh, in church settings or religious circles talking about the presence of God. I mean, people have like, taught, heard about the presence of God before, right? It's heard about the presence of God and people are like, well, uh, I mean, am I supposed to feel something? Am I supposed to like get like the heebie-jeebie? What, what, what do you mean the presence of God? It just means this, that God in his person, when you look to him, he's turning his attention towards you. That when you pray to God, he hears you. That when you actually talk to God, he will talk back to you. How many people believe that? Okay, hold on, hold on now. Why do we have the Bible? Because God has spoken. Now is God now dead or alive? alive. Thank you. He's alive. And if he's alive, is he able to speak? Yes. Does he speak first through his word? Is everything that he says thereafter going to agree with his word? Yes. yes. But does he speak today? Yes. Woo. Just follow the train of thought. Just follow the train of thought. God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Relationally. If he's describing himself continually as a father, what good father, not an absentee father, not a passive father, but what good father doesn't want to relate with their children? What good father doesn't want to relate with his children? Do you think I would be well satisfied to bear the one, two, three, and four children that I have and only have them hear stories about me? Oh, back in the day when, you know, my, my uh, wife talking about back in the day when we were in college, he used to do this and he used to do that. What do you think they would say to that? They'd say, neat. <laughs> That's cool. Man, you guys are old. Okay, so those are the types of things that they would say. But if they want relationship with me, they've got to draw near to me. And I also have to draw near to them, right? In the same way, you've got to start understanding God in this dynamic. 
when you pray, you're actually drawing near to a person who wants to interact with you. The Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell inside of you is God's dynamic to actually give you relationship with him. His word is the basis. His Holy Spirit is the access. And you've got to understand him as having relationship with you and not just having a reverence for him. Can you know God personally? The answer is yes. In Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Many of you have read this apocalyptic book and gotten scared and t- like turned back to the gospel of John because it's easier. Okay? Here's the, here's the thing though. When you read Revelation... He talks about Jesus speaking after his resurrection, after his ascension into heaven, to the churches. You see that? It wasn't just when he was walking the earth, but it was after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He's giving messages to the church, giving messages to the churches, and giving an understanding of the fact that we should have relationship with him. One of those churches that you're familiar with was Laodicea, which was a city at that time in the uh, um, empire. And he said this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, that we're familiar with that scripture, but let me give context to this. The context is that he's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the church. He's not talking, he's not giving an altar call here. Everybody understand that? If you've ever been in a revival setting before, you might have heard this scripture. Behold, he stands at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door to him, he'll come and eat with them and he with them. Good, if you want to like, you know, get people to respond to the gospel, fine, fine, fine. Okay, but here's the context of it. He's talking to the church here. And he starts off, not in verse 20, but he starts off in verse 14. And he says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Cold nor hot. You're just milling around. You have a reverence for me, but you're sort of milling around, right? Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, you have a reverence for me, but you're sort of just there, right? Sort of like breakfast in the morning, right? Anybody, anybody, like, anybody, favorite, anybody else's favorite meal of the day, breakfast? Okay, yeah, my favorite meal, I can eat it all day long, right? All day, every day. But here's the thing about it. You know what I hate? I hate cold oatmeal. I, hate co- I like hot oatmeal. I hate cold oatmeal. It's nasty, right? And if you've ever actually let it sit on the table too long, has anybody ever... Had the gut, like gag reflex. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, right? Sort of like this is, what he, this is what I imagine he's talking about, right? I'd rather you be piping hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, just milling around, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He said, I don't want just reverence. I want relationship. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments, talking about righteousness, right? So that you may clothe yourselves of, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You might not just be religious, but you might see things as God sees it. Understand things as God sees it. Why? Because you're close enough in the walk with him to know his heart, right? You know his heart. You actually have a friendship with God. 
Jesus said, I no longer call you servants or, but friends because I've made known to you my master's business, your master's business, right? He says, that's when you're going to be a friend, not just because you sing a song about it, right? Anybody ever sung that song before? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Well, maybe not. Hello? Maybe not. He's not a friend of yours just because you sing a song about it. He says, I um, call friends those who I make my like father's business known to. And they're with me working in the field, right? And he says this, then he goes on to say, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Good news. When we get reproved and disciplined, it's good news. It's a father treating us like a father, right? Come on now. If we've not been reproved and disciplined by parents, then we've been on our own and often ended up in trouble. Anybody have that experience? No, we've all been disciplined, right? And he says, it was for our good. And he says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and, be, um, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So it's Jesus, post-earthly ministry. Jesus, post-crucifixion. Jesus, post-resurrection. Jesus, post-ascension into heaven. Speaking to the churches. And saying, I want relationship with you. You can know me personally. And when you know me personally, it will change not only who you are, but what you do. Not only who you are, but what you do. Many of you are familiar with, uh, really, one of the most famous uh, hymns of uh, modern history. Many times you'll hear it sung on The Voice or, you know, American Idol. But Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace. The history, though, of Amazing Grace. Anybody know the history of Amazing Grace? Okay, Amazing Grace, put together by a man named John Newton, who at one point in his life, very far from God, though he was actually raised in a Christian household up until he was about seven years old when his mother, who tried to teach him the Bible, actually passed away, then his father led him in a different direction, and he got involved in the slave trade. He got involved in the slave trade, but over the course of his life and the ministry and all that was going on for the gospel during that period of time, he was influenced by people like John Wesley and George Whitfield, right? Anybody familiar with these people? Great revivalists of the second great awakening, right? You see that he himself was, had his eyes open to the grace of God, the relationship that God was inviting him into, and he himself was changed. And when he says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I was once lost, but now I'm fine. I was blind, but now I see. It was because his eyes were open to relationship with Jesus, where God himself could not only forgive him, but change him. And from that point forward, he not only became a help to abolitionists, but then he actually became a a clergyman, a preacher of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel that took him out of that life of damnable things and actually brought him into a life of trying to provide freedom for others, not just physically, but in their eternal soul, in their eternal soul. 
It was because of the gospel and Jesus drawing near to him by grace. So all of a sudden, when I started to consider these things, even before being a Christian, they started to help illuminate for me and remove for me the stumbling blocks that I had. That I could, in fact, trust this God who was offering me life in him through his son, Jesus, because I saw not only the effect it could have in my personal life, but actually the effect that it would have on the world around me that he said he created and came to redeem because of the work of the gospel in people's hearts and lives. When we talk about Christ's community and culture, this is the culture part, right? He says, I'm going to be affected by Christ, come into community, and then go out and be the salt and light of the earth in culture to bring his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray for, and that's what we work for and strive for, right? Because Jesus lives. Because Jesus has made us new. Because Jesus has transformed my heart and my mind. Now I need to have an effect on the world around me through the overflow of the Holy Spirit in me. And that's why we need to not just have reverence for him, but have relationship with him, because when we're just living on fumes, we don't have the strength. We don't have the strength to engage the world in all of its evil things that it's doing around us because we're just trying to make it ourselves. We're just trying to make it ourselves, right? If I don't have, if I'm not full, he says, whatever it's in me, if clouds, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes, if clouds are full of rain, they'll pour forth water on the earth. Okay, thanks Solomon, wise. Okay, but here's, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He, what he means is whatever you fill yourself with is gonna come out. Whatever you fill yourself with is gonna come out. If you're full of the word of God, if you're full of his grace, if you're full of his spirit, which is overflowing within you and not just a one-time thing, but ongoing filling and everyday filling. He said, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit over and over again. You see that throughout the book of Acts. Hello, people of God. They had Pentecost, right? Where the Holy Spirit came in power. And through that, through the preaching of the word, 3,000 were saved. But then there was an ongoing filling again and again and again that gave them boldness, understanding, revelation, and strength to be the people of God and do what the gospel said. To not only transform their own lives, but actually affect the community around them. He said, continually be filled to overflowing. But the basis of all that in the faith that we live in must be the gospel. Matt Chandler, many of you are familiar with Matt Chandler. He said this, the gospel must not be assumed. The gospel must not be assumed. It's to be articulated clearly and continually. Clearly and continually. If not, you get moralistic pragmatism. Moralistic pragmatism, which means that you're basing your faith on the wrong things. You're basing your relationship on the wrong things. You're trying to be moral, getting your, making your way to God where God's like, it will forever be what I've done for you. And because of what I've done for you, in love, in response to me, you can overflow in the world around you. Can you have a relationship with God? The answer is yes. Here's the truth about knowing God personally. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Good mantra, right? God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. 
That's how it works. And because of that, because we're not trying to hold our own before God, we actually have the strength, his strength, to go out and impact that which is going on around us. We actually just watched the um, movie, uh, The Green Book. Um, Anybody seen The Green Book? Okay, two people, great. All right. The Green Book, but um, one of the quotes I liked out of it was, the world's full of lonely people (laughs) afraid to make the first move. The world is full of lonely people afraid to make the first move. Now, that could be a whole message in and of itself, you know, in terms of just relationships, right? But the good news is that in the gospel, God made the first move. You were left to yourselves. I was left to myself. And God himself made the first move. And God loved us so much that he sent his son to save us. If we believe in him, we will spend eternity in deep personal relationship with him. If we all trusted that simple, profound truth, it would change everything. Our friendships, our marriages, our work relationships, our work ethic, our contentment, our finances, it would change everything. Isn't that not true? It would change literally everything. The bottom line is, is the entire reason Jesus came to earth was so that everyone who trusts in him can know God personally. The relationship, literally, that we were born to enjoy the relationship that we were born to enjoy. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's for the whole world. And he says, literally, as we end this series, can I know God personally? The answer, without apology, without question, is yes. Can your coworker, can your neighbor, can your, I don't know, even the person you don't like, can your enemies? Anybody have somebody you don't like? Come on, be honest. We're in church, don't lie. Okay, so here's the thing. Even the people that you don't like, can they know God personally? The answer is yes. As a matter of fact, if they do, you might like them more. (laughs) That is the truth. But God's come to save humanity from hell and actually bring heaven on earth until he makes his return, bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what we're here for today. So question is, if you have heard this before, great. What are you doing about it? That's the question. Are you keeping it just to yourself? Or, 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 like John Newton, like Frederick Douglass, like Harriet Beecher Stowe, like her pappy. Yeah, I mean, are you actually doing things to actually let the gospel out to affect those around you? If you've been coming and you do not know the Lord, you've had a reverence for him, but never actually crossed the line into relationship with him, is this your time? And the answer is yes. Because the Bible says very clearly that today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Seek the Lord while he might be found to you. He said he's not going to wrestle with a sinful man or woman forever. So if you have the opportunity to respond to him, respond today. Today. So God bless you. Thank you for coming. And we are going to go into the worship now and communion But after that, as Pastor Cole talked about, we will have an opportunity for anybody who's just been coming around looking for an opportunity to get involved. We'll also have a volunteer fair. And in that volunteer fair, it gives you an opportunity, an opportunity to think through some of the things that we have been talking about. I'll end with this quote and then walk off into the sunset. He says, 
In other words, a man, you might ask yourself the question, where should I myself volunteer? Where should I be involved? How, if I've already responded to Jesus personally and he's working in my life, where should I get involved? There is actually a Presbyterian minister named Frederick Buchner. Anybody heard of him before? Okay, that's fine. All right, he said this, the place God calls you to, and this isn't just talking about in the church, but in life in general, the place that God calls you to is a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Philippians 2.13 actually said, it's God who works in you to work, to will, and to act according to his good purpose in Christ Jesus. And so where the, your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet, that's the place you can get involved to actually be salt and light in the world. And in the church, it's the same way. So find a place of service, serve God gladly, and let's actually make a difference for Jesus, the living King. Amen.